It's, uh, it's a joy and a privilege to open God's Word with you now, so uh, why don't we ask for His help as we turn to His Word. Heavenly Father, please speak to us now through your Scriptures. What we are not, make us. What we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we all have voices in our head. Uh, could be a sign you're crazy, and uh, if the voices that you can hear are audible, maybe you are. But we all have voices in our head. Uh, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's your mother saying, don't chew with your mouth open. Maybe it's your doctor saying, three teaspoons of sugar in your tea is too much. Maybe it's your wife saying, I love it when you put your dirty dishes away. Or maybe it's your boss saying, next person who does that is going to get fired. I was never actually kind of aware of all the voices going around in my head until I, I did a bit of a course, and as part of it we had a reflection, and what, that was one of the questions is, in this particular situation, what are, the, what are the voices in your head? And one of the great privileges as parents, of course, is that we get to put voices into our kids' heads. Uh, and, and the greatest of which, of course, is to teach them about God, to put God's voice in their head. So in a given situation, they know what God thinks, that they can discern the will of God for their lives. And uh, this is what we see in today's passage. One of the most fascinating things in the passage is the way King Joash was raised as a boy to know God's will. And that that was the passage that we read just then. Uh, But he was raised by the priest. But in the second chapter of today's uh, two chapters, chapter 12, uh, he he grows into a man and he he begins to try and shut out the voice of God. Uh, So he he tried and cut off God so that he could be free uh, to do as he pleased. For it's one thing to know God's will, it's another thing to actually do it. Well, let's get into it. We've got two chapters, two halves, two main characters. As I said, chapter 11 is uh, all about the, the priest. The priest is the active character there. He leads the way to rescue and raise the small boy, Joash, and then to crown him king. But then in the second half of our passage, chapter 12, Joash, the king, leads the way uh, and loses his way. So my three points are uh, the priest who knew how and did, the king who knew how but did not, uh, and the priest king who knew and did. So firstly, the priest who knew and did. Uh, By way of context, in the book of Kings, you know, very, very generally, we're kind of plotting the slow uh, downfall of God's nation. Uh, But today the focus shifts from Israel. I don't know if you've noticed, it's been on the Israel, the northern part, today it shifts to Judah for the first time in 2 Kings, actually. And today's story, it begins uh, in the power vacuum of last week. If you remember last week, you had Jehu, the perjurer, and he kind of went crazy and he cleaned out all of Ahab's family. Um, He killed both the Israelite and Judean kings. Uh, And what we saw, if you remember, is that God's judgment comes on those who stand against him. And when it comes, it's swift and it's terrible. And so then this week, there's this vacuum. Athaliah, the mother of the killed Judean king, the daughter of Ahab, uh, she steps into this void, into the power vacuum. Verse 11, uh, sorry, chapter 11, verse 1 begins, when Athaliah, Ahaziah's mother, saw that her son was dead, she proceeded to annihilate all the royal heirs. So Athaliah assumes control and proceeds to kill out all possible rivals, uh, you know, th- these rivals would have uh, almost certainly included her own family, her own grandkids, but it's pretty, uh, pretty callous stuff. 
Uh, and yet, on the other hand, it's pretty typical stuff of a kingdom. Like, this is just what happens in a nation. Uh, except this isn't any nation. It's God's nation. And God anoints the king, uh, and God has promised that place to someone of the house of David. He's promised that the nation would be of the seed of Abraham eternally. And so, you know, what's going on? Who is this woman? Athalia is, uh, she's a usurper. She's rising up against the house of God, attempting to negate his promises. Uh, and he's, remember last week, it was kind of God directing history. Athalia is trying to redirect away from the house of David back to the house of Ahab. So it's this struggle. It's, it's Psalm 2, you know, why do the people plot in vain and conspire against the Lord and his anointed one? God's king, he's, God's king is not accepted as ruler on earth. Uh, he's rejected in favor of another agenda. And of course, we see the same in our society, don't we? Where the rule of God's chosen king, Jesus, uh, it's not accepted or acceptable. His teachings and statutes, they're considered, well, now they're considered abhorrent, aren't they? Uh, it's been seen all too clearly with the forcing out, of course, of Andrew Thorburn, the Essendon. CEO, if you've been following the story in the news, it was a couple of weeks ago now, and I don't really know much about Andrew Thorban or what he believes. Uh, I don't really think anyone did at the time either, even by those who, who forced him to resign. All they knew is that he was associated with Jesus, that he sought to live under Jesus's rule along with his church, and that was enough to make him unacceptable. Well, what's to become of such efforts to suppress God's rule? They prove only uh, temporarily effective. Like medicine we take to, to manage symptoms, they provide temporary relief only, as we see uh, today as our story unfolds. So back to our story, where we really do have a crisis, as I say, God's promised kingdom, it hangs on by a thread. Will the house of David survive? Well, verse 2, Jehoshaphat, who was the king who was King Joram's daughter and Ahaziah's sister, secretly rescued Joash, son of Ahaziah, from the king's sons who were being killed, and put him and the one who nursed him in a bedroom. So he was hidden from Athaliah and was not killed. And so a brave woman steps in and rescues the boy, the seed of David's house. Uh, and one of the things I love about this is just how clearly we see God's means, how God gets stuff done. God uses his people to do his work here on earth. God's usual way of blessing people, uh, bringing about his kingdom, is by putting it on the hearts of his followers to act. So don't neglect to act. When, when you see God's work that needs to be done, open yourself up to being used by God for his kingdom in the everyday. Perhaps caring for a child of God, raising up a child to know the Lord, that they too might look to do God's work. Well, our story continues in verse 3. Joash, uh, he was, it says he was in hiding with Jehoshaphat in the Lord's temple six years while Athaliah ruled over the, king, over the land. And so Joash, he's hidden away in the temple. Uh, part of the reason he's taken to the temple is because it turns out the woman who rescued him is married to the high priest. And uh, you can just imagine she brings the baby into the temple and the, the high priest is like, what's going on? It's not bring your kid to work day. It's not a childcare center. Uh, except in this case it was. Uh, verse 3 says he was hidden away for six years. Um, and it's interesting in this whole first chapter, as I said, Joash, he's, he's passive. He's totally passive. It's the priest. It's, it's Yahweh who is taking control, rescuing him, protecting him, and ultimately crowning him. 
Uh, his protection, we had explained as we read verses 4 to 11, the entire Judean guard is enlisted and you're left sure that God's elect would not die. Verse 10 adds that the priest gave to the commanders of hundreds King David's spears and shields that were in the Lord's temple. Who knew the temple had an armory? I kind of, I think this is a great idea. I'm, I've been inspired by this. I think maybe, maybe I'll put an application in parish council, a little room here behind the curtain. We could deck it out as an armory. Some nunchucks, I don't know. I'm probably getting carried away. The point is that the, the king is protected. And then uh, verse 12, he's crowned by the priest. It says, uh, who brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, gave him the testimony and made him king. They anointed him and clapped their hands and cried, Long live the king. So when it says he was given the testimony there, uh, he was given God's law, you know, something like the first few books of our Old Testament. For he'd been raised to know God's way. He'd been given God's word. He had learned how to hear God's voice. Uh, Meanwhile, though, uh, midway through verse 14, we get uh, the illegitimate queen, and and she sees, it says that, all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Uh, Thalia tore her clothes and screamed, treason, treason! How fascinating, you know, from this queen, treason. See, she felt entitled to the kingdom. She had won it with her sword. It was hers. Entitlement is such a fascinating thing, isn't it? Fascinating and dangerous thing. Entitlement can lead people to, to steal, to, to invade other nations, to hold a grudge, to justify treating other people badly. You know, the, the heart, the heart so easily says, this should be mine. Uh, this used to be mine. I deserve this. And so I have the right to take it. The human heart so easily cries out, treason, treason. And yet it is God who marks out the boundaries. It's God who determines what people are entitled to, what it is, what is good and right for people to have, and ultimately what people will have. And so to avoid entitlement, accept God's measure. Uh, His law, His boundaries, thankfully, uh, contentedly accept, and you'll be spared from the trap of entitlement. As always, uh, trust and fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Well, Athalia is put to death uh, and Joash begins his reign by having God's covenant renewed. There's this great renewal by the priests in verse 17. It says, Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people that they would be the Lord's people and another covenant between the king and the people. So they commit to being Yahweh's people. Uh, Verse 18 continues, All the people in the land went to the temple of Baal, tore it down, they broke down its altars and images into pieces, they killed Matan, the priest of Baal, at the altars. So the priest of God has done well here. He has led well. He has shown the king how to live for God and they have turned the nation back to him. And so we enter the second part of our passage, chapter 12 where Joash begins to rule. My second point is the king who knew but did not. Chapter 11 ends saying Joash was seven years old when he became king. And as he grew, uh, we are told that the priest continued to be the voice of God for the king as he, as he began to reign. Uh, so verse 2 says, Throughout the time Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him, Joash 
did what was right in the Lord's sight. So that's a pretty good commendation to do what is right in the Lord's sight. But come with me as we unravel this question of Joash. Uh, is, is he a good guy or a bad guy? Because the next kind of chunk of chapter 12, it's, you're not really sure what it's trying to say. Uh, even the very next verse, the very next verse begins with a qualifier that you never want to hear from God, yet, yet the high places were not taken away, the people continued sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. Well, that can't be good, can it? That, that can't be good. A high place, uh, it was another place of worship to another god. Uh, so Yahweh had his temple, and essentially the high places were other temples to false gods, and, and they would burn the incense, and this fragrance would drift up, and it was supposed to please these false gods. But all it really did was displease the true god. And so how can verse 2 say that he did the right thing if, if these things were still going on? And the puzzle continues uh, with an episode from verses 4 to 16 about repairing Yahweh's temple. You know, so verse 3 says that the temples of the other gods remained, right? Um, the high places. And then verse 4 says Joash was concerned to repair God's temple. It's like, well, that's interesting. Like, wh- why is he so anxious to repair? Is it guilt? Is, was, this, was this a good, righteous thing to want to do? Uh, presumably, it's a good thing to repair God's temple. Um, as, as the account continues, the repairs struggle along. Uh, verse 4, Joash raises building repair funds by taking funds that were given to the temple. And again, it's hard to be sure. Was that a good place to take the funds from? Should he have given from his own money, as some of the other kings had done in the past? Verse 6, it continues. We hear that by the 23rd year, the damage was still not repaired. And so Joash looks to sort it out again. And, and again, you read it and you're like, is this positive or negative? Um, you know, is, is this a case of better late than never? It's good that he's fixing it. Or why did it take so long? Should he have done something sooner? Uh, and then finally, uh, he sorts it out in verse 9, that the finances are all finally worked out. I'll read verse 9. It says, Then Jehoiada, the priest, took a chest, bored a hole in its lid, and set it beside the altar on the right-hand side as one enters the Lord's temple. In it, the priest who guarded that threshold put all the money brought into the Lord's temple. And so they, they get the funds and the temple gets repaired. Uh, but again, is this a good solution? Like, what's the description we're getting of the king here? Why did they need a chest? Was the money being stolen? It's a bit like a piggy bank, isn't it? There's a hole in the top. Is it a security measure? But, but who was stealing the money? Who's at fault here? So many questions. I puzzled over this for quite a long time. Uh, but in such cases as these, it's uh, when you're doing Bible reading, it's good to zoom out a little bit. Uh, and when we zoom out, we see that by the end of the chapter, Joash has clearly fallen off the wagon and is blatantly ungodly. And so there's a kind of progression through his life. In verse 2, doing what is right, and then by the end, uh, clearly not. It turns out that when verse 2 said that uh, throughout the time, Jehoiada, the priest, instructed him, Joash did what was right in the Lord's sight. It turns out that was actually a condemnation of Joash. It's saying while the priest was instructing him, while he had this voice from the priest, he was okay. But when he came to his own uh, in chapter 12, he, disapp- he disappointed Yahweh. Joash knew what to do but didn't do it. Nobody knew better than him, uh, but he didn't hold on to the teaching. Instead, he, he wavers and falls almost every turn. 
Uh, and so that's a good uh, Bible reading tip. Zoom out, get a bit of context. Uh, another trick, though, is to see what other parts of Scripture say. And in the King's accounts, we have parallel accounts in 1 and 2 Chronicles, which is the next two books. And so a lot of the same stories are told. Uh, they're told differently with different details. Uh, in this case, it's very helpful because we're, we're told a lot more about Joash and some of the things that he did. Uh, and so I, I'm going to turn to Second Chronicles. It'll be up on screen, or you can turn to Second Chronicles 24:20, and I'll read a little bit. The, the context here is uh, Judah. It was worshiping Asherah poles and idols, and we're told God sent. Um, Jehoiada, the priest's son, who is now high priest himself, he sends him uh, to talk to Joash, but Joash didn't want to listen. So uh, 2 Chronicles 24.20, it says, The priest stood up and said, This is what God says. Why are you transgressing the Lord's commands? Uh, And you do not prosper. Why? Because you've abandoned the Lord. He has abandoned you. And so this is the priest's son uh, says this. It's a huge condemnation. No one, no one wants to hear a voice like that. Uh, in verse 21, we get the people's reaction. It says, uh, but they conspired against him and stoned him at the king's command in the courtyard of the Lord's temple. So the king has uh, the priest killed to, to shut out the voice of God. Uh, you know, in, in the very same courtyard where Joash was raised... Uh, as a small boy, he has this priest stoned. And so um, Second Chronicles offers, a, it's a sobering summary in verse 22. It says, King Joash didn't remember the kindness that uh, Zechariah's father, Jehoiada, had extended to him, but killed his son. So the voice of his youth, uh, the voice of uh, you know, his mentor, the, the son of the woman who raised him, is killed. And Joash was a king. He knew, but he did not. People always look to remove the voice of God uh, from their lives when it's condemning them. Uh, it's rarely as blatant as with Joash. Uh, for example, um, seven weeks ago, I have a couple of photos. I was reading um, some news stories online. Uh, there were reports of three churches in China being raided by police. Um, you know, in one of them, all 70 of the church members were arrested. Um, apparently, uh, all the Protestants there are being forced to join state-run churches. Um, So do keep them in your prayers and admire their faithfulness to to continue to gather under such conditions. Uh, But we see that so clearly there's a tension between the voice of the government and the voice of God. Uh, The words of one church leader caught my ears. They said, uh, I quote, This latest round of persecution seeks to strictly control people's thoughts. End quote. And so these churches can't exist because the, the authoritarian government there wants to control people's thoughts. Uh, and our society is not quite as blatant as that. Uh, and yet Andrew Thorburn, who we mentioned earlier, still doesn't have a job. Joash, uh, Joash censored God when, he, when he, he put to death uh, the priest, uh, putting to death the voice of God, so he wouldn't have to have his actions condemned. A short-term fix, though, because God cannot be silenced. You may be able to imprison members of God's church, but God's heavenly church cannot be shaken. The work that Jesus has done cannot be undone. He will remain as ruler. You may silence the voice which speaks God's truth, 
But at the end of our age, all are going to come before the throne of God and have to listen to his judgment, to the judgment of his king. And the king will speak and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or the king will speak and say, depart from me, I never knew you. But back to our story in Second uh, Kings, where uh, I'll, let me let me rip through the remaining accounts of Joash. Uh, kind of they they plot his spiral. So uh, chapter twelve, verse seventeen to eighteen, he tries to buy off Hazael. Hazael, uh, the king of Aram, marches up to take Jerusalem, and verse eighteen says, uh, "So King Joash of Judah took all the consecrated items that his ancestors, Judah's kings, Jehoshaphat, Jehoram." Ahaziah had consecrated, along with his own consecrated items, and all the gold found in the treasuries of the Lord's temple and in the king's palace, and he sent them to Hazael, king of Aram, that Hazael, or then Hazael withdrew from Jerusalem. And so, you know, this guy comes to invade, and uh, Joash kind of bribes him, buys him off, and Whenever that happens in uh, in the Old Testament, it's never viewed well. It's it's a bad strategy generally. We we just know that general wisdom says that you can't buy off someone like that. Uh, but the issue always in Scripture is is that uh, as followers of God, we are to turn to Him. We're to seek His help. That's how God's people are meant to deal with their problems. We seek God's uh, protection, His provision. We position ourselves in Christ to be right with God. So we can call upon his name and look to him. But Joash could not. Uh, and instead he strips Yahweh's temple of all of its gold. It's just interesting, isn't it? Like, what was the point of doing all the temple repairs if now it gets stripped of all of its gold? Because the king couldn't turn to God when he was in need. Perhaps it's a lesson about getting our, our hearts right first before we try and do things for God. Well, uh, the final account then is uh, of Joash's death. Verse 20 says, Joash's servants conspired against him and killed him. Joash, it's a, it's, a, it's a sad tale, isn't it? His reign has been plagued with signs that he was never in control, that he ran his kingdom on his own. He did it his way, ignored the voice of God, uh, and ultimately led to his downfall. And that's, that's the tale of Joash. Uh, my final point then is uh, the priest king who knew and did. Have you heard echoes of, uh, of Jesus throughout this account? Uh, Joash, of course, was not the first or the last small boy uh, being hunted by a, a powerful ruler, uh, but being hidden away by the faithful. That, that's a tale we've heard before. Moses hid from Pharaoh in a basket in the water. And of course, Jesus was hunted by Herod, but was hidden away in Egypt until the thread had passed. It's just, it's fascinating. God, against all wisdom, chose to put his kingdom in the hands of humans, to, to have his kingdom play out through a line of people that, that could be killed, of small children being raised up. That's a crazy idea. <laughs> but it is God's magnificent plan. Uh, and we saw that Joash was part of this plan. He, he was anointed by God as God's king, but he was not obedient. We see that being chosen, being anointed, it wasn't enough, was it? To being part of God's plan, to not being judged by God, ultimately. Ultimately, God invited Joash into his kingdom, but Joash walked away through his disobedience. And so in our two chapters today, we have a, an obedient priest and a disobedient king. 
Uh, and of course, Jesus is both priest and king. And, and he knew the voice of his Father in heaven and he obeyed. He, he was raised up in the way of the Lord as a child to, to know how to walk and be faithful and to please his Father. And, and Jesus did it. Jesus did it, unlike Joash. Jesus walked in obedience. Uh, we, we, we rightly talk a lot about Jesus dying on the cross, um, but more accurately, he saved us by his faithful life. My favorite uh, theologian, Herman Bavink, says um, his whole life was a substitutionary sacrifice. Like his whole life was lived as, as the, the sacrifice. He lived obediently the life that we could not. He, like us all, he knew God's will, but he actually did it. Jesus' obedience, his faithfulness, uh, to the will of the Father, gives him the right to forgive us and to rule the whole world as king. And see, this, this all then, in turn, um, says something about our lives as followers of Jesus, as God's people. We need to do more than just know. We need to do. We need to live out our Christian lives. Uh, and that's the logic of Philippians 2. So Philippians 2.8 says, He humbled himself, this is Jesus, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I said Jesus was obedient, and then we must be obedient too. So Philippians continues, uh, verse 12, it says, So then, my dear friends, just as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so, so we work out our salvation, we obey, fearing the Lord as Jesus did. There's a great symmetry to the passage. There's Jesus, the obedient worker, in verse 8, and then there's the Christian, the obedient worker, in verse 12, and then God is working in verse 13, uh, which says, for it is God who is working in you, enabling you to both desire and to work uh, out his good purpose. So God enables us. Joash didn't desire to follow God, but God will enable you to desire to work for him. For God is, is working out his good purposes in us. And so we see that in our passage, God steers the ship, he had a plan, he's building a kingdom, and he uses his workers to bring about his purposes. So don't neglect to do the work of God. Be, be obedient always, wherever God has put you. Be obedient in everything it might mean missing out on a birthday party. You might lose your job over it. It might cost you time and money. You may have to change plans in big ways or small. But God is at work in the world uh, all around us. We are the only workforce he has. And so be obedient, be faithful, as King Jesus was, even to the point of death. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Thank you for your faithfulness in building a kingdom and inviting us into it. Please work through us. Enable us to desire to be obedient to your voice. Give us the strength to listen to you and to be obedient in the society who is against you. And thank you for the joy of being your servants. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.